Hey everyone, welcome to the State of Demand Gen podcast where we're going to mash together all the different content types, events, interviews, Demand Gen Live, when I'm a guest on a podcast, LinkedIn content, all here in audio format. If you haven't already, I would highly encourage you to sign up for the Demand Gen Live sessions that I'm putting together with Gatano Denardi at 7.30 p.m., 4.30 Pacific on Tuesday evenings. Tons of great content in there, lots of great insights, live Q&A, building a little community inside there. I'd highly encourage you to check it out. And now to this episode. So I was just thinking before the episode, we'll keep it light. Um, and what I was thinking about was... Um, and just kind of like interesting reflection that I was having 30 minutes before we started, which was that like a lot of the stuff that like people um, look at me and, and think that I've like accomplished a lot. Um, like I knew a lot of the stuff five years ago. I just didn't know how to communicate it. And so, um, and as I started to think more about that, if you try and translate that to a company, like a company has a lot of knowledge they have a lot of knowledge about their product and their competitors, but oftentimes they're not very good at communicating it, which is why their customers don't, don't respond or listen. Um, and so just kind of wanted to get it started off of that when it, which is basically like how, if you want to think about whatever you're trying to accomplish, whether to go get a new job or to get more customers for the company that you own or to, you know, become the CMO at the company that you're working at. Um, what you, I think what is a good place to start is like, if I, if I was going to do a zoom every night at seven thirty PM, how do I get 30 people every week that are exactly who I want to show up? And then it comes down to communication and providing ongoing value. Um, and so that was kind of meta, but wanted to just get it started there. Right. Um, what's an example of this? Uh, if a CRM company doesn't want to label themselves as a CRM company, they say, um, you guys can hear Miami's crazy thunderstorms happening right now. You guys hear that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is nuts. Oh man. It's flash flood warnings and shit. It's been crazy. Um, anyway, I guess that's just what happens sometimes, but yeah, like a CRM company, they don't want to label themselves as a CRM. They want to call themselves like a customer experience platform. And then like when you first see that, like you don't know what it actually means. You have to go digging for what the answer is. And really all that is to me is it probably has a sales CRM component and then like a service slash IT help desk component. It's probably full cycle, you know, CRM, but, um, they don't say it that way. They, they put these fluffy names on things rather than just saying what the product is and what the benefits and value is. Uh, so the, I think the, the takeaway for, for what Chris is saying is like, you know, don't, um, try to sugarcoat things too much in your copy. Don't try to get too cute. Just be direct with it and learn how to communicate concisely. Right on. And, uh, and then I thought of an interesting topic to kind of get everyone rolling. Hopefully we can get some, some chat going, but, um, the topic is should marketers be comped on revenue? And if so, how, um, we may see differently on this. Cool. Um, I'm looking that's forward okay. to it. That's okay. But, um, actually, no, I don't think so because, um, then we'd just be sales. 
wouldn't we just be a sales team if we're like getting revenue commissions? Like now if it's 100% self-service online checkout, e-commerce, 100% of pipeline is generated from web sourced marketing, then definitely. Right. Um, and maybe a shared, maybe a shared number with customer support and success because they have to work on retention. I see retention as part of that revenue engine. Um, it's often underlooked and I think marketing can definitely support, um, you know, their service teams better. And, um, I think upsells as well from your support team that you should, I don't think you should give them a quota for that. Cause then that, that creates bad behaviors. But I, really what I'm getting at is if you give marketing revenue targets, you're just going to create bad behaviors. So if you are confident that you can mitigate that and you are a firm believer in motivating marketing with a revenue target, maybe that's a different story and it's an approach that not many have explored. But um, me, I'm in the camp of let's have marketing get a contribution to revenue through pipeline. That's kind of what I like to. Um, so I like I like actual pipeline created from marketing sourced and we may see differently on that, but it's all good. Yeah. You know, I have been flip flopping on this a lot. So like five years ago, I was bullish on marketers being comped on revenue. Um, but over time I've recognized that there's a couple big problems with it. The first one is that you then start getting into attribution wars that just don't make sense. And so that's no fun. Um, and the second one is that for most marketing teams, if they're comped on revenue, we'll end up doing, just as Gatano said, doing a lot of the wrong things in order for to try and hit that metric, which often leads you to not hitting the metric. And so um, as of recently, the way that I think that you could get there is to somehow tie a small component of a bonus attached to some sales target, um, which then incentivizes the marketing team to be aligned more with the sales team. But in terms of having uh, a meaningful amount of compensation tied to revenue, um, as of late, I agree with you. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) What a turn of events. Uh, nah, I mean, look, I think, um, we, we don't have many marketers that think in the camp of don't do things that are ungated. Don't do things that aren't trackable. Don't do things that aren't scalable. A lot of marketers will not think in those terms. And, you know, I think one thing that we are aiming to do, uh, is spread awareness about alternative marketing, you know, um, methodology, modern day stuff. And when people, I always say, I always say this on LinkedIn. Yeah. We're thinking more forward. We're thinking more modern. And then people are like, well, what's more modern. And then you say, well, uh, not gating white papers, (laughs) you know, uh, not getting the biggest, fattest booth at the trade show, creating content around the trade show, like all these things that like we always talk about. Um, a lot of marketers just can't get around that, that, that hurdle. So we're trying to change mentalities as well. Right on. So we got a couple questions flowing in. I feel like we'll jump into it. And then I got a couple in my back pocket that we can fall back on if we want. Um, Matthew, is yours a uh, comment or a question? Just give me a, give me a thumbs up. If it was a question, thumbs down, no question. Okay. 
You feel free to touch on it though. Yeah, let's do it. What do you got? Oh, um, I just, I noticed yesterday you commented on someone's post on LinkedIn. Um, they were talking about sort of an end of, uh, end of month, you know, meet your MQL mm-hmm. goal where they run that content piece on Facebook or LinkedIn and they use just a straight LinkedIn or Facebook lead gen form um, to, to throw right to an SDR into uh into those guess sales cadence. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that was a really bad idea. Um, and most people who follow you jump right into that. Mm-hmm. But um, Yeah, I didn't, I didn't follow the comment thread, but I did see there was a lot no. of activity on it. Yeah. Um, like I mean, yeah, we, uh, so just to reiterate the, the statement. So there was a post yesterday talking about, Hey, you have a week left in your um, month. If you need to hit your MQL target, just run an ebook download to a lead gen form and you'll get all these leads and then you'll hit your target. And that is like the most perfect example of what Katano and I were just talking about not doing. Um, just because you're paying money to hit a metric that you know doesn't actually do anything. All it does is just waste your team's time. Um, so I'll let you jump in there. I, see, I, I can tell you're, you're itching to get something in. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean, dude, you nail. I mean, like you, you nailed it, man. Um, that, that's an, definitely an example of something what you shouldn't do. You know, furthermore, if you are going to do shit like that, make sure the rest of the revenue engine is in place. Like make sure if you are, let's say you're going to invest in top of funnel, um, content, you're either going to realize this is not going to be gated and I'm just going to let it fly out there. And if you are gating it, you better do something with it right? Like do some, I'm not saying nurture. I know we all hate that idea, but you know, figure out if you can at least build a relationship with that person through one-to-one direct outreach, uh, depending on how you're gating it and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to riff on this too much. I feel like mm-hmm. I always say the same shit, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. You, you know, you know what it is, Chris. But I, I saved one that I think we could go on forever about, which is getting going to get really specific on each channel, when we talk about channel level metrics and awareness channels versus intent channels, and I was thinking we like actually zoom in on channels and talk and give some examples about, okay, this is what we're doing. This is the, this is why the channel level metric doesn't, doesn't exactly map to a business metric, but this is how we get here type of thing. So maybe I'll get it started or yeah. if, you, if you got one on top of your head. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah. So, um, so there's some, here's one that I I don't talk about that frequently. So we've been doing a lot, uh, lately with YouTube pre-roll ads, either based on web retargeting or competitor search query retargeting or different or some type of intent visit retargeting. And so basically someone searches a competitor brand name, in Google. And then the next time they go to YouTube, we're going to be able to present a video to them and they're going to be able to skip it after five seconds, but you'd be surprised how many people actually watch the whole thing. And so when we think about that, if people were measuring it like Google AdWords, they would be measuring it on cost per click and cost per conversion. And so if you measure the YouTube channel that way, it's going to look like the channel is not working as well as Google. No, no shit. Like the person in Google is searching, I want this thing. And then you show your ad, you're going to have a way better cost per conversion on that channel than on the YouTube ad where the person's there to do something else. However, at the channel level for YouTube, what I'm measuring is 
how many people are consuming the video. I know that they're presumably in the target, right? They searched my competitor's brand name or they visited this intent site or they've already hit our site. So presumably they're somewhat in, in, uh, involved in the product. And then how much did it cost me to have them watch the one minute video about my product? Or how much did it cost me to have them watch the three minute video of a customer testimonial about how they had so much success with the product? And so if you measured at that, the view, like to get them to watch the one minute video cost me seven cents for them to get to watch the three minute video. It cost me 97 cents. And then you have to make a choice of whether or not that view is worth the cost as opposed to what other people would do would say the cost per conversion is 1800 bucks. We're getting it for 600 on Google. Let's kill this because it's a piece of the execution not, not the whole thing. It's, it's a, you break it down into little chunks of the journey. And if you accomplish that goal on that channel, then that channel is deemed effective based on your goal for the channel. So that's an example. I thought you could jump in with one. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a perfect way of looking at it. And you, you nailed the two things that I, that I would have looked at as well. Engagement on the content asset itself, which is the video and then the cost. Um, and what you're going to see for, for, for YouTube, the total cost is probably you're, you're going to have really low cost per clicks, as you said, and this way you're actually getting more reach. So you have to be as a brand, you have to have spend threshold tolerance, uh, for, for paying for things that are measured unconventionally, just as what Chris talked about before. Um, I guess, I mean, I could riff on this for a lot of different things. You know, I'm going to go organic search. Yeah. Perfect. But I mean, what Chris talked about, um, actually aligns closely to what a lot of, um, blog content creators deal with, which is the CEO or whoever may say, how is the blog performing? <laughs> the CMO may say, how's the blog performing? And you may look at, um, conversion data per visit. And you may see that, you know, on per blog post, it gets, you know, X percentage of, you know, free trial requests. And it's actually a pretty poor way of looking at it because I asked my boss once, you know, when have you ever read a blog post and bought something or signed up for a service on like the first cold attempt? Uh, and like never. So <clears throat> with blog, the way to slice and dice it is actually, um, the part of the funnel that that blog content is aimed at. And when we audit our content at Nextiva, we break it down by stage of the buying cycle. And we know that on our bottom of funnel offer uh, pages that are around bottom of funnel intent, um, we, we treat those differently than top of funnel. So we measure basically the success of blog content based on where it sits in the buying cycle. Right on. So, um, I don't know if, if everyone can see, but I just put everyone that's on video on gallery view. And so I, Gitano said something, I just want to do a, uh, a little poll here. Um, so raise your hand if in the past six months there's been a social ad for a, a SaaS product and you have filled out a form inside that said, I want a demo. So somebody gave some software gave you an ad that said, come get a demo and you signed up for it inside of social. I'm the only one. I'm blown away. Okay. So my, my experiment failed. Let's, uh, let's pivot. Um, what I, what I was trying I'm, to, you know, I'm shocked that you, I, I'm I shocked figured, that you did. What tool was it? I think integrate, but anyway, I, I figured that more people would. 
So what we typically see is people will fill it, it. It comes back to what you said about, about nobody, everyone knows that they haven't read a blog and directly bought a product. Right. And so just thinking about how your own behavior is like, I'll fill out, get a demo forms quite a bit in social, but I'll never actually buy the thing for whatever, for one reason or another, the lead follow up isn't good. The product isn't good. Anyway, it just creates a, a lead for the sake of a lead. <laughs> Um, That's interesting because with me as a marketer, I would never fall for a marketing trick. And I, <laughs> I view paid social as a marketing trick. I'm sorry. Um, but I kind of do because it's interruptive. I wasn't expecting to be looking at vacation pictures and then get blasted with this thing of mm-hmm. this product. Like I hate that shit. So I'm just not going to contribute to that because that's what I do to other people. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is just go to the homepage and just submit there and, or just, if I really want to just deal with somebody that I know, I'll go to LinkedIn, see who I know from that company. I want to buy something from and hit them up. Mm. You know, that's what I'll, that's what I'll do. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't want to contribute and make them think they're doing something right. Oh, we got this lead. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got a, we got a question, um, a follow-up from Matthew that was, uh, how do you decide between a testimonial style pre-roll as opposed to a top level brand awareness style on YouTube? Or do you differentiate? Um, so Matthew, my view on this is, I typically run both and just figure out which one works better. Um, also to do this really effectively, typically you need to create a video specifically for YouTube. Like the video that you make for your demo page may not be the same one that you would make for YouTube. So the production in order to get this done is actually quite an investment. Um, and for that reason, sometimes it's just whichever one the client has available. Um, if you, I know that there's a better way to look at that than what I just told you. Um, but just given that sometimes these videos are take long and expensive to produce, like you can, you can accomplish the same goal in both ways. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, you could use a testimonial testimonials are, are interesting as, as a content type, because I think they, they are relevant for top of funnel and also relevant for bottom of funnel. It, it kind of depends on what kind of testimonial you use. So that we at Nextive, actually, we have a, a reservoir of all the testimonials that we have in our basically library of testimonials. And we have them tagged by what we are getting praised for. So if it's kudos for customer service, we have that bucketed. Oh, these are all the testimonials that talk about how great our customer service is. Um, when we are advertising against a certain buyer type where we know service is really important, such as the enterprise where they don't expect to be, you know, put through a ticketing system. Like they want to call and be able to talk to someone fast. We use that as social proof on those kinds of pages. When, um, we need someone that's very price sensitive, we find like a testimonial that is talking about like, you know, great value, um, great bundle, right? Awesome um, implementation and onboarding easy. We, we basically have our testimonials bucketed by what we need them for. And that, um, also applies to the way we chop up the videos. So if we want to cut to a part where they're just talking about how great the brand is, we may use that for something. If they're talking specifically about like a a feature that they love, we'll just cut that. So that's kind of how we think about it is always really back to the intent of the buyer. That's what we try to think about. Yeah. Uh, a subtle key on YouTube pre-roll, if you're going to do it, which I'd recommend you at least try it, um, is that you got to get to the point immediately. 
And so if you have a video that shows your logo for the first three seconds, someone's going to skip right through that. And so it's got to be like, hit them. I have someone saying, I never knew what to do with before this product, or I was always struggling with blah. And that's the first three seconds. And then you got them on the hook because after five seconds, they can hit skip. And so we've done a bunch of A to B tests on that. Like the beginning of the five seconds really matters to the success of that execution. So Amanda's got a question. Amanda, you want to, uh, I'm going to unmute you. You can ask it. Hey there. I just realized, um, I'm logged into my wife's profile, <laughs> which is pretty fantastic. <laughs> this is great. Um, yeah, my name is Jonathan. Uh, yeah, just more generally, uh, yeah. Thoughts on sponsored webinars. They produce really well for us. Um, but they leave some to be desired in many different areas. So yeah, I was just curious about that. When you say they produce for you, um, what do you mean? I mean, you know, really across the funnel. I mean, they, they do drive pipe and revenue, um, in some cases, uh, but not always. And there's always this instance of like a new vendor that promises X and then we test it out. It sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Who are you selling to? Uh, mainly merchants, like so people that commerce. Yeah. People that would buy like Shopify or something like that too. Yeah. Okay, cool. Donna, you want to hit it first? Yeah, man. I mean, I used to work for one of those companies that provided sponsored webinar services. So I know all about how this works. Uh, may I ask you, sir, um, what vertical are you in specifically? Like, uh, any kind of merchants in particular, like dental or real estate or anything like that, or just general? Yeah. I mean, we do really well with like manufacturing health and beauty. Um, I mean, things have changed since COVID of course, but yeah, typically those. Okay. E All right. Yeah. Got it. <clears throat> so, um, here's how, um, it worked basically when I was at sales hacker, you know, full, full disclosure, we were a company that provided sponsored webinars and, um, we would market that webinar to our audience. So we'd probably run banners on our website on relevant blog articles that pertain to that topic. Uh, we'd hit our email list segmented by whatever, you know, target audience that content was meant for. We would charge a fee of course for producing that webinar. Um, and we would invite somebody from the sponsor and company to be like a featured guest on the webinar as well. So you weren't just paying purely for like leads. You were also kind of paying for thought leadership and the way it worked was straight up. However many webinar registrants were generated for that webinar, you'd get that whole list and you'd be able to market to them as you wanted to. And our job as the provider was just to create the leads, the quote unquote leads, <laughs> but <laughs> that was it. So how you look at it is really, you know, um, where are these people in, in a buying cycle? Are they even in a buying cycle? And that's what you don't know. Now you can mitigate some of that from the form fields by saying things like, um, would you want somebody from XYZ company to follow up with more information? Whoever says no, clearly just was there for the content. Whoever says yes, maybe worth, you know, following up with. Right. But companies were, were paying for it from two standpoints from like quote unquote thought leadership. And then, um, for that list, of course, that sign up list. Um, and that was basically it. Cool. I mean, 
when it, my view on this, as I struggle to communicate it is that if you do it well, you shouldn't need someone to get you signups for the webinar. Like the, the idea of paying someone else to collect an audience for you when you can go and get it yourself just feels like unnecessary for me. So the, the complete idea of content syndication, third party sponsored webinars, um, like those types of things I just don't believe in because like you can go in and pick the job titles or any other ways to target people and get them in yourself and not pay the money for it. I think that there's two ways to look at it, but that that's how I've um, been looking at it is that over time, just usually doing it yourself will end up with a better result, mainly because it forces you to con- continuously create content for the stream and be able to be able to have a way to get to your buyers when you can, then you can use a bunch of different pieces of content, not just webinars to get them in. So once you have, once you have the target narrowed in, you have complete freedom against anything of needing someone's help to get to your audience. I, I, I now this is going to sound crazy and like counterintuitive because I came from a company that provided these services, but actually I agree 1000% with Chris and here's why guess what happened to sales hacker? Some software company bought us out. Guess what happened to, to, if you're someone that said, you know what, there's this community called sales hacker that's got access to the audience we need. Let's just say it's sales ops. And we're going to put like 70% of our eggs in that basket of community driven leads and thought leadership. And things are going great. You're, you know, that you're a little, you're, you know, you're sucking on that tea a little too hard. You're relying on that, on that milk. Right. <laughs> right. You, but guess what happens when sales hacker gets acquired that goes bye-bye because that, that company that acquired sales hacker, they don't want to give their audience and traffic and leads to a competing company. And now guess what? You just lost 70% of your flow overnight because an unpredictable thing happened and you didn't take control of growing your own audience and being in control of your own destiny, like Chris said. Um, and what we found actually as a sponsored webinar provider was that the reason why so many companies came to us is because they couldn't figure out how to mechanically go through the motion of setting up webinars. Like they couldn't figure out like, so, so who creates the content? Who promotes it? Like they just couldn't figure it out. So they'd rather just pay to outsource it all. So it wasn't just purely for like the outcome. It was also for like the, the legwork, you know, the, the machinery behind it. We had the content promotion process down. We had the production process down. We knew when to send what emails, who to send it to, how to promote on social, the funnels, the influencer network. We had all this shit, you know, down and they had nothing. So the way they saw it was not only are we going to get the end outcome that we want, but we're also going to save a ton on the machine power on the leg horse, uh, on the, on the, the leg work. Cause we don't want to do any of it. And there you go. That's it. You got to figure out how to do it yourself or over time you are vulnerable. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Of course. Okay. So we're going to pivot. We've, uh, we've talked a little bit about hiring. 
Um, but maybe we can cover it a, a little bit in a different direction. And so it's not like assembling a team or something like that, but maybe like let's pick one or two different different roles and then kind of just chat through how we would hire them. So um, a couple of the key ones that I think if I was like starting a small team that I would want um, would first be somebody to do the distribution and somebody else to architect the content. And probably the third person would be somebody that makes either videos or pictures or ideally both. And so those are kind of like three. Why don't you, uh, well, why don't you pick one and then figure out uh, or talk to us about how you'd go about hiring that person. Yeah, man, that's a good one. Um, wow. Small team. So I, um, was at a company that was pretty small to start. Uh, sales hacker is the example I'll use. And this was the team breakdown. Um, it was myself who was part content creator, part distributor, part orchestrator of strategy and execution, part email marketer, part paid ads guy. That's just how it goes when you're, you know, on a marketing team of four or five people. Um, at the time, actually it was three, three marketers and a shit ton of outsourced stuff. So uh, let me tell you how it all went. So myself, I did all that. I like ran the blog. I ran the contributor network. Um, and basically I just did a lot of everything. Then we had a partnerships guy who also did a lot of social media promo for us and sales. Um, and he also helped me out quite a lot with email marketing. Then we had, um, the writers were all free and it was the community. We had that brand presence because uh, our, our CEO, Max, he uh, built quite a, a reputation. He wrote a book called Hacking Sales and he built a community around that. And then he branded Sales Hacker as the go-to place to contribute your ideas. So we became the most popular blog in B2B sales. So we were able to get free content from every person in B2B sales who just wanted to come up and make a name for themselves because we had the attraction of the eyeballs and all these companies didn't. Um, and also the other thing that was kind of beneficial for us is we branded ourselves as a unbiased quote unquote unbiasedly. We, we basically had to disclose when we were getting paid to do shit, but for the most part, we weren't a vendor. So, um, people trusted our word over all these other vendor websites that were just creating lists and putting themselves at the top every time. So they were kind of less credible, um, by doing that. But essentially it was myself, um, a partnerships guy and, um, kind of a part paid ads person, part junior content specialist slash copywriter slash email marketer. And I think Chris and I are pretty much aligned on all that stuff. We outsourced development and outsourced creative because we couldn't afford it in house. And that's how, and, and we had a virtual assistant, um, helping us do some other work as well. And that was, the breakdown. Yeah. yeah. And so I'll go in a little bit of a different direction on this one. I completely agree with everything Gatano said, um, is like, if you're, if you have a role that you're trying to hire for, how do you go about, do, how do you go about getting that person? And so, um, I've had two different strategies work well over the past 12 months. Um, there's one that's easier than the other. So there's one where you just post a job on LinkedIn and then post about it, post about it in your own content. And then you get, you know, 
our jobs get 500 applications and most of them aren't good. So it takes a lot of time to filter through that and try and figure out who's good and who's not. Um, the other one, which I found uh, really useful is to just use LinkedIn and always be looking for to know in the back of your mind who you're looking for. And then when you think that you've found that person, reach out. And that's um, out of the six people in my company, two of them have been hired that way um, and have been both really good, have both worked out really well. Um, and so from a hiring standpoint, I always like not needing to hire the person tomorrow like knowing who I need in the future and then kind of passively looking and trying to figure out exactly who that person is. It's a great, not a lot of people get to be in that position. Um, but I can like, I know that I could hire two people tomorrow if I wanted to. And then when I find the right person, I can pull the trigger. And so, um, that's, uh, just some of the ways that I've been going about it. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it. Um, I, I approach it the same exact way. Um, you know, our, basically our company has the mindset of always just in general, generally speaking for any marketing role, because we know how hard it is to find good marketers in any specialization of marketing, just always keep your eyes out for great people. Just always keep your eyes out for great people and build relationships with them. Cause you never know if they're going to evolve um, and become great. And then you may want to try and get them to be part of the team, even at the current stage that they're at, they may be a good fit, even though there's not a, you know, open role, we may be able to find something for people who are great. Um, that's the, that's the attitude of our CEO. You know, find, if you find somebody great, we'll find a place for them. That that's kind of the attitude there. Um, and I, I agree with that approach. You never want to be in a situation where you're desperate and you have to hire like tomorrow, like, Oh, my SEM guy quit. No one knows. No one else in the company knows how to do it. We're fucked. Like you don't want to be, in, you don't want to be in that situation. Like Chris said. Um, and then finally to cap it off, it's like, if you post and say, Hey, I'm looking for X, Y, Z role, you're going to get a ton of garbage. Um, I've, we both know that. We both know that we've, <laughs> I've learned my lesson the hard way, unfortunately. So what you have to do is manually go target the people that you want. And often these are people that are happily employed, well-paid, mm -hmm. not looking to change, not looking to move. You got to work really hard to convince them. The best people, they're already all gobbled up. They're all hogged up or they're doing their own shit. Um, it's the, the free market wanderers who unfortunately are kind of like the, you know, the, un, the unwanted, the untouchables. That's not always the case because sometimes good people do get for load or whatever the case, but you know, those people that just can't seem to find anything for, you know, months and months and months and months, like Chris and I are never going to have that problem. Right? Like if you're sitting around for eight months and no one's hiring you, well, you need to do something about that. And the, and the answer is don't keep begging people for jobs. It's you probably need to skill up somewhere. You probably need to create your own movement. You probably need mm -hmm. to build a social page to X number of following. You probably need to build a blog to X number of following. You probably need to build an email list to X number of following. You probably have to do something different than just begging for job, begging for job. So, um, you know, I could, I'll leave it at that. Actually, I don't want to keep ranting, but that's kind of where I'm at on it. Yeah. I mean, just, just for the record, 18 months ago, like I was applying to jobs and not even getting interviews like seriously, not because I'm not good, but because the places I was applying, nobody 
actually looks at the resumes. There's 500 people applying and they just have some automation go through it or someone else filter through it. And so it's usually not because you're not good enough. It's just because you're not going about it in the right way. Um, so Katie had a, uh, had a great question. Katie, you mind adding a little bit of color to your question? I'm going to unmute you. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, if you have a small team and I love the, the thought on, you know, part distribution, part content creation, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, does it make sense to have that distribution person stretched thinner by taking, you know, paid on their plate, either, um, SEM or, you know, social or at a team of two, does it make more sense to use a smaller agency and have them really focus on email or other channels, um, organic? How much money do you plan on spending per month on ads? Well, like for this, just, let's just say it's, um, like hypothetically, let's say it's like a $5,000 budget, maybe Mm -hmm. split between social and, um, search Mm -hmm. per per month. Katana, you want to take this one? Yeah, sure, man. Um, so $5,000 a month budget for all of paid search and paid social. Is that correct? And then the decision is, do you bring someone in house or do you find an agency? Okay. So it's 5,000 a month for the cost of the labor of doing the person. No, $5,000 a month budget for the ads. And then the, and then as as an example, right? Anywhere between five and 10 K a month. That's like the size company I'm thinking about with those Mm -hmm. budgets. Yeah, got it. So if 10K a month is your ads budget, you better learn how to get good at ads yourself. That is like, so that's a pretty low ad budget. I don't even think any agency would take that on. If you, if they said, what's your monthly spending budget for ads? And you said 10K, they probably wouldn't even entertain the idea of working with you. It's just too small time um, Mm -hmm. for, for, for many agencies. Um, I think a lot of agencies want to see at least like a 50K commit to spending um, I mean, Chris, you, you are a service provider. You may know better than, than myself, but I can tell you that, um, any agency that I've worked with 10 K is just far too low, but I'll pause there. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a practical part of the decision and then a strategic part of the decision. And so if the decision is just paid house or in-house or agency, if you want to go outside, you're probably gonna have to go freelance. Um, because I, most, I don't think many agencies, especially at the 5k would be able to even be able to make it work. Like it's not worth their, um, it's not worth your money to pay them to manage 5k. It's also a good decision for you. The second part, which is more interesting is on the strategy side. It's so like, how important do you think this is to your business long term? And so in, in my view, and this again, like I say a lot of things that go against, like not in my best interest because I do it, but like, I think most companies should figure out how to do this themselves because I think it's that important. Like if I was the CMO, I would want to be able to build core competencies in-house to do this because I know it's so powerful long-term. And so uh, from a strategy standpoint, um, if you believe that it's going, it can or is going to be a critical part of the business in two, three, four years, then I would start figuring out how to do that. The challenge with bringing someone in house is to be frank, most people suck. Like, and so I've almost thought about this as more of like a hybrid, um, which could be something along the lines of 
and I know the budget's small, but like if I had, if I had mapped out, there were no constraints long-term, what I would do is I would hire somebody that I think is good and has the tools. And then I would layer on an agency or someone for someone between somewhere between three and six months for that person to basically like dissect the strategy that the agency is doing as long as you're aligned with that one and then have them go in that direction. So it's almost like paid management slash paid training for someone that's good if you agree that the agency has the right strategy. Just kind of some ideas. Yeah. I mean, another an, another route you can take is just um, you can basically like, let's say you have um, 10K to spend a month on ads, you can find like the biggest and baddest consultant who really specializes in like this thing. Let's just say it's SEM. You can pay like an SEM consultant who's a beast to basically create a roadmap for you. Just come in one time, do just do a strategy and do like some, some coaching and training for whoever in-house has the capability on the execution side, but they just don't know what buttons to push, what levers to pull. Um, and just have that one person do some training sessions and lay out a roadmap strategy. That alone is probably going to cost you like 10 K, but it's going to be a one-time hit. And then if you feel that you have at least, you know, basic or average or adequate level competency in running a paid ads program, um, when everyone, when all the steps are laid out for you, you just have to go and execute and monitor and be careful and maybe test a few things along the way and incrementally improve, then that might be a good way to go as well. Yeah. The last thing I'll add, and we kind of touched on this in some, but just to kind of drive home the point is in a lot of cases, I, I real I strongly believe that you should be able to do the job that you're outsourcing before you outsource it as a company, because then you'll know whether first you'll know whether or not the person's full of shit when you're talking to them. And secondly, if they're screwing up two months in, you'll know a lot of companies have agencies that are screwing up two months in and they don't even know. Um, and so that's like a, another one is that I think you need to be able to at a, at a pretty detailed level, understand what they're doing and whether or not it's working. Yeah. That one is such a, a, it's so tough for so many companies because the reason why they hire outsourcing is because they don't have the expertise. (laughs) That's the chicken and the egg situation for them. It's like, we don't have the expertise in SEM. We need to hire an agency to do it. Oh fuck. Now they're just telling us a bunch of shit that we don't know what it means. We're just trusting that they're, that they're right. And that's where a lot of companies get hung up and that sucks. That sucks. But if you can be in a position where you only outsource because of capacity and not because of knowledge gap, you're going to be much, much, Mm. much better off. Like Chris said, so try to limit yourself to when it's capacity problem or bandwidth, or you just want to move faster acceleration. You need more hands. Um, but never let it uh, ideally never let it be because of a skill gap. Um, so, and then you did a, uh, you did a lightning round unless are there any other questions? Cause I, I brought a lightning round for you. Let's do the lightning round. Right. Um, I dig it. Okay. Most overrated marketing channel. Oh man. Um, LinkedIn. Damn. The Martech category with the most bark and no bite. <laughs> that was a good one, huh? That's a, that's a damn good one. Shit. I want to, you know, I want to say shit like, um, 
like social media automation tools. Mm-hmm. Like th- that's for the birds. Mm. <laughs> I've been hearing that more, more often. I love like, 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 you know, content calendar, social media planning, automate your posts. Like I think that's a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. And the automated, like, I mean, Instagram has automated follow and follow shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even like if this, then that, like mm-hmm. if I clap for a post on medium, it automatically gets tweeted. Like how many of those wacky automations <laughs> do you really want happening? Like mm-hmm. why you're just going to look like a, a, like a robot. Like the best people I know at social are the ones that like, like you do it. Like you actually take time to do it. Right most underrated marketing skill? Um, copywriting. Most overrated marketing skill? Building a personal brand. I wish I had one more, but that's all I have on my list. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you disagree with anything I said? Maybe we'll go back one-on-one on the answers and call it a day. Cool. Um, so, you remember them? You want me to read them off to myself? Yeah, let's start one by one. Okay, so it's uh, the first one is most overrated marketing channel. Yeah, I said LinkedIn. Did, mm-hmm. did you agree or disagree with that? I'm between trade shows and direct mail. That's good, man. That's good. Uh, I didn't say trade shows because they're not like happening right now. Mm-hmm. But if they were, I would have said that. <laughs> Martech with the most bark and no bite. I'm so proud of myself for putting that one together. That's a good um, one. Yeah, I think I said the social media automation. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, um, I don't know if they're like sales enablement or content platforms, but those types of things I just don't think are needed. Yeah. Um, I'm not even a huge user of those. It just, and I'm um, kind of speaking I guess a little out of line here, but from what I've seen of those, like I've seen Uber flip implemented. It just doesn't feel at all. (laughs) Um, I've never even seen it implemented. Just feels like a mess. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Most underrated marketing skill, um, understanding customers. Yeah. That's actually, I almost said something similar to that. I was going to say like the ability to like, you know, listen to sales calls and read, you know, customer notes and see like shit like that. Customer research. I I think customer research, knowing the customer kind of all falls into the same category. Mm -hmm. Most overrated marketing skill. I don't really have one. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think building the personal brand is a double-edged sword. Maybe to close this one out because I posted about this like last week, but like, you know, a lot of people who are popular on LinkedIn can't get results for their companies. And this kind of went a bit viral um, for obvious yeah. reasons because it stirs the pot like crazy. But that's why I, I want to just say that like having a great personal brand is, is a very strong asset to have and it's important. But some of the best marketers that I know are the, are the complete ghosts. You don't even know they exist. They have zero personal brand. And um, that's why also a lot of the best SEO companies and SEO consultants they don't rank number one for SEO consultant, you know, Dallas, Texas, right? Cause they're too busy getting results for their clients. Right. That's why the best advertising agencies are not the best at doing their own ads because they're busy doing them for clients. Like that's just kind of the way it goes. So, um, that's just my final thought on personal brand. For sure. 
I'm in agreement. So where should we, uh, you want to, you want to get it started on closing it out. And then, um, I think we have, uh, some cool stories. I got a, I got a story. I think you you close it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll close it out. I don't have any like topics to riff on Uh as we close out. I think I would just kind of say that, um, what I'm realizing more and more each day is it truly is about focus and execution. Uh, I can't say it enough, man. Like there really is no, I still see these Facebook groups like SAS growth hacks. And I just, I just laugh at that shit because I'm like, yeah, someone created a nice, interesting, juicy headline for that group name. But at the end of the day, I've never gotten like a true long lasting business result from a SAS growth hack or better yet from a comment that came out of a group called SAS growth hacks. I get all the gold from here from Chris. Um, so, <laughs> so that's, that's basically how I'll close it off. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think last week we, or I kind of closed it out by talking about how, um, somebody came here on week one when we started doing this out of nowhere, by the way, like just Katana, you want to do this. And then, uh, started a podcast, started getting more active on LinkedIn. Um, and then had people reaching out to them to see if they wanted to get a better job at a new company. And this is if, if whether you want a new job or, um, change industries or all those different things, like you, you can accomplish them if you take action. And so, um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to, to publishing that story on my LinkedIn. Cause that's really like what we're here for. We're here to, to share the, the knowledge that we've learned to try and help you avoid the mistakes that we've already made um, with the hopes that like you go on and become the CEO of an awesome company or the C- CMO, CEO of an awesome company or start your own company or do whatever makes you happy. Right. And so um, that's kind of what gets me motivated to come here every day and uh, really appreciate all of you joining. Yeah. I mean, I would just close out on that by saying the reason I show up is I don't want to let anyone down. You know, I'd actually feel bad if like I didn't show up and people were like, Oh shit. Like it's not the same. <laughs> I don't know if that is true. It, not, would, it would not be anywhere near the same without you. If I was I just know. here, it wouldn't be the same. That's the problem, man. I know. So we got to keep it going. And, uh, just thanks again, everybody for coming back and, uh, you know, hanging out. See, Ashley, I see your little girl there. What's yeah. up? <laughs> <laughs> she looks like she wants to learn about marketing. All right, cool. Yeah. And if you guys have any like high level topics, feel free to uh, drop them in the, in my DM and then I'll kind of let them marinate and figure out how to get it a little bit juicier before we get started next week. <laughs>